Teaching text today comes from Acts chapter 10. While talking with him, Peter went outside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man with shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remember your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of being baptized with what they're being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you to Tyler for his wonderful invitation. And I failed this morning to also thank Meg and Carlos and Gemma for their just hospitality and generosity um, towards me. So um, thank you. It's good to see you all this evening. Let us pray. O Lord, my God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's children said, amen, amen. Amen. So it's evening, and I ate a lot (laughs) during my break, so we're going to do this together, amen? (laughs) Amen. So in 1903, W.E. Du Bois, a black American sociologist, historian, civil rights activist, he was one of the founders of the NAACP and the first African-American to receive a PhD from Harvard University. He said in his famous book, The Souls of Black Folk, that the problem of the 20th century is the problem of the color line. And now, over 115 years later, we can look around and admit that while things have changed significantly for the better for racial minorities in this country, the problem of the color line still exists. And so this evening, we talk about this issue of racial reconciliation, not because we have not made progress in this country, but because there's still work to be done. 
So imagine you had a child who was capable of making A's, and all they brought home was F's. And over time, they made D's and C's, and you might celebrate their progress, but you still knew that child had more potential. This evening, we are talking about that potential. Because the truth is, to speak of racial reconciliation in 2019 is not to discard or discredit the strides that we've made as a country, but it is to say that we can still do better. We did elect a black president in 2008 and 2012, but Charlottesville also took place. And black and brown women are still being killed by law enforcement, even in their own homes. And Sunday morning, you guys might be different, but Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour in our country. And so this morning, this evening, I have the honor of speaking about the most uncomfortable and most difficult conversation, racial reconciliation, but the grace is that I get to go back in my car and go back to Inglewood. <laughs> right? Um, but I'm glad that we're talking about it, and I'm glad that your church has stepped out in a very courageous way to deal with these issues, to talk about these things, because we really do want to be Isaiah 58 people, people who are well-watered gardens, who are repairers of the breach. That's what we're here to do. So let's be clear about our terms. What do I mean when I say racial reconciliation? Brenda Salton McNeil is an author, she's a pastor, she works in this area of reconciliation, and she says this speaking of racial reconciliation, reconciliation is an ongoing spiritual process involving forgiveness, repentance, and justice that restores broken relationships and systems to reflect God's original intention for all creation to flourish. I love that definition. Just let it sink in for a moment. Racial reconciliation is a spiritual process that involves the spiritual disciplines of forgiveness, repentance, and justice. And the goal is to restore the breach in personal relationships as well as systems to reflect God's original intention for all of us. It is to call each one of us back into shalom back into the abundant life that Jesus promises us. And I believe racial reconciliation is possible. I wouldn't be here if I didn't think that that was so because I believe in a resurrected Christ who is able to make all things new, amen? amen. That this same Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God here on earth. And I believe that there are enough people who love Jesus enough that we're willing to do the hard work to be ministers of reconciliation. So what are we trying to fix? Racial division is a sin. It goes back to Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, they not only broke our relationship with God, but they broke our relationship with one another. But the type of division we see in the Bible is slightly different from what we see living now. In the Bible, we see this division between the people of the promise and those outside of it, the Jews and the Gentiles. And this is important because it's the background for our text. Gentiles were not people of the promise because they weren't descendants of Abraham. They had not been given the sign of circumcision, and they didn't participate in it. Gentiles were separated from the promise of God, but God always had a plan for them. 
Reconciliation was always part of the plan. The Jews were the people of the promise, and they were the people of the law. We remember Mount Sinai, right? With Moses coming down and giving the law. That law, however, would serve as a dividing wall between the children of the promise and the children who were not. That law would become a fence, a source of hostility. Isaiah might describe it as quarreling and fighting and hitting. But the good news is that Jesus stepped in. Amen. Amen. And Paul makes it clear in Ephesians chapter 2 where he says, For Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Jesus reconciles us back to God and back to one another. He creates one new humanity out of two, and he makes peace. He puts to death hostility. He demonstrates it with his own life. He teaches peace. He heals those inside of the promise and those outside of it. The 2019 translation, race is sin. It's a social construct developed for the purpose of division. It's always been that way. Now, ethnicity, however, is a gift from God. Daniel Hill, he's an author and a uh, pastor, he wrote this book called Wide Awake, which I highly recommend. And in it, he says, ethnicity refers to the way people identify with each other based on commonalities, such as language or history or ancestry, nationality, customs, cuisine, and art. You could be ethnically Colombian or Korean or Puerto Rican or Jamaican or Irish, but race, he reminds us, is different. Race is a social construct that has always been used to separate us and to discriminate. Brian Stevenson, he's a lawyer and he's the author of the book Just Mercy. The movie is coming out in, in, around Christmas and I do highly recommend it. He says, he characterizes it this way, calling it the narrative of racial difference. He says it's not just that, there were, that we're physically different but that we place value on that difference, such that white is seen as good and black is seen as bad and everyone else seems to fall somewhere in between. It's that negative or positive value placed on ethnic difference combined with the power to exert privilege or penalty that equals racism. And this, brothers and sisters, is a sin. It causes division between us. But the good news is, and I always like to talk about the good news, the good news is that Jesus is still on the throne. And he has already done the work of reconciling us back to him and back to one another. We are already reconciled in Christ, but here's the problem. This is where many people stop. Many times people like to say, oh, but we're reconciled in Christ, that's enough. No, that's not enough. There's still some work that has to be done. If all that was needed was Christ's declaration of forgiveness and freedom from sin, we would never struggle with sin. Yes, we're forgiven. 
And yes, we're free, but we must do the work of living into that freedom. We must do the work to rid ourselves of the sin that so easily entangles us. Jesus' work on the cross is a guarantee, however, that it can be done. And so it is with racial reconciliation. We are reconciled, but we must do the work of reconcilers. So how do we do this? How do we live into the reconciliation that Christ has already provided for us? Let me give you a little background on the Acts 10 text. If we go back to the beginning of Acts 10, we meet this man named Cornelius. He's a centurion, he's a Gentile, and he's considered to be a God-fearing man because he prays, he's generous, and he's been asking something of God, but we don't know what. Well, in his prayer one day, he has a, an angel comes to him and tells him to send for Simon Peter. And as much as this man was considered devout, Cornelius, he had been um, excluded from practicing Judaism. And therefore, he was even outside of the opportunity to hear the gospel message from Jesus, of, of Jesus Christ. But because of this encounter with this angel, Cornelius then goes and sends his people to go find Simon Peter. Now, Simon Peter, we know, is the same Peter, the disciple. And so Cornelius is praying, has this vision. Meanwhile, Simon, Peter, is somewhere else, and he's hungry. And while he's waiting for his food to be made, he goes onto the roof of the house, and he falls into a trance. And in his vision, he sees a large sheep coming down from heaven with all kinds of animals on it. And he hears the voice of God tell him, Peter, get up and eat. And Peter, this good Jewish man turned Christ follower, says, no, God. He says, no to God. He says, no, God, I've never eaten anything unclean or impure. And the voice of God says to him, do not call anything impure that I have made clean. This happened three times because Peter didn't get it. Right? He's got this thing with three, right? <laughs> Just realized that. But by this time, Cornelius' people have arrived, and, and Peter agrees to go back with them. And, and so they go back the next day, and Peter arrives, and he addresses Cornelius and his family and his friends, and he says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And then when he learns how God orchestrated this whole thing between him and Cornelius, he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. The King James Virgin says, God does not show partiality, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and the one who does what is right. He then begins to share about Jesus, and, every, and then the Holy Spirit comes down. People start speaking in tongues, and Peter is amazed, and he says, we've got to baptize this people. The Holy Spirit comes even on the Gentiles. This is a big deal because Jews and Gentiles did not even associate with one another. Jews considered Gentiles unclean and would not speak with them, much less be in their homes or allow them to stay in their homes. But God is pushing them to the work of reconciliation. So what do we learn from this text? How do we live into this racial reconciliation? And this is just a few ideas. There are many more. The first thing we learn is that we must accept God's revelation. 
We have to accept God's revelation for us and for the world. So first, God has made this revelation about the world. And the Bible is clear, as Paul says in verse 28, that our world, our system, our modes of operation can be corrupted by racism. Paul, Peter acknowledges, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. It was against the law, excuse me, <clears throat> for Jews to associate with Gentiles. The system had been designed to not only keep them separated, but for Jews to feel superior to Gentiles. The Jews had taken God's command to be separate and distinct from other people and in place value on that. And God, he, they thought that God had chosen them just for themselves. But in fact, God had chosen them to be a blessing to the rest of the world. And God re re revealed to Peter that the world in which they lived and operated was corrupt. It was evil. It was sinful because value was placed on difference. It was a mode of sinful behavior that had been established and codified and passed down generationally. And I have to say, it really reminds us of the web we now live in. We have a criminal justice system that has been proven over and over again to be biased against black and brown people. If for no other reason, we need to rethink it because it came out of slavery. Watch the Netflix uh, documentary 13th on that. Hate crimes are up nationwide. They're up in Brooklyn. In my small hometown, 90% of black and brown children are unable to pass the state test in math in eighth grade. And I started thinking about that because it, it occurred to me that either our system is failing our children or we inherently believe that black and brown children cannot excel academically. When we hear these statistics or we're confronted with them in some way, it's God's way of revealing the lies and bigotry of this country to us. He's telling us, I know what the law says. I know how society operates, but I'm telling you that this is wrong. And I'm telling you that this is not my plan. I'm telling you that this is not my design. Daniel Hill talks about this disorientation that takes place when we're confronted, when we learn that the facts of the world that we live in is not the narrative in which we operated previously. There's a conflict, but it's the Lord's work. It's the Holy Spirit revealing the truth so he can lead us into his design. God gives us revelation about the world, but he also gives us revelation about ourselves. God had given Peter a revelation, not just about the world, but about Peter himself. Peter had bought into the cultural norms. He personally did not want to associate with Gentiles. But God was revealing to Peter that he wasn't pleased with that behavior. To be reconcilers, we have to deal with the ways in which we have personally absorbed our culture. But oftentimes we won't. If this sermon were about pride or greed or anger or shame, we would want God to search our hearts and uncover any sin that was there so that we could repent. We would say like David the psalmist, create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. But too many of us are afraid of what might be lurking in our hearts particularly when it comes to the issue of race. 
So I challenge you, all of you, to ask God to search your hearts and to reveal any prejudice that may reside there. Ways that you may have been complicit in someone else's pain, ways you may have been affected, either as a beneficiary or as a victim. We're moving from macro to micro here. Upon becoming aware of the sin in ourselves or the ways we have benefited from it, God is calling us to forgiveness and repentance and transformation. But let's be honest, no one wants to do this because no one wants to think of themselves as a racist. We picture the KKK. We picture the slaveholder. And yes, that indeed is racism, but that's actually rather extreme, right? Most people operate in less extreme ways. I used to work for a college prep program, and we hired an SAT tutor. Now, most of the kids in the program were black and brown from low-income neighborhoods throughout New York City. And this SAT tutor said, and mind me, we hired him to tutor for the SAT. And he told our students that it didn't matter what they received on the SAT because they would get into college anyway. Affirmative action. See, I had a problem with this because the tutor refused to believe that my students were capable of college admissions based upon their intellect, their resourcefulness, their grit, their creativity, and their well-roundedness. He wasn't wearing a robe, but he was lessening the standards for my students. And that was unacceptable. Yes, I've been called the N-word, but that's really extreme. What really bothers me is being called articulate. I say this not to brag, but I have two Ivy League degrees and another master's. I paid to be articulate. I'm just educated. I just went to school. I just paid attention in class. I'm not a unicorn. I'm not the exception. We can't be surprised when someone doesn't fit into the box we may have placed them in. We have to be careful of our assumptions. We need to be able to admit our own prejudices, even as Christians, because Christians can be prejudiced too. Peter was. You guys know Peter? He walked with Jesus. He sat at the master's feet and was taught by Jesus. He healed and he preached. Jesus built the church off of his confession. But Peter still had some work to do. Christianity in this country is a, is a perfect example of this as well. Did you know that there were slave ships called Jesus? the good ship Jesus, that there would be church services happening on the top of the slave ship while there were slaves underneath. Isn't that crazy? Even recently, the Bible has been used to justify cruel treatment of people separating children from their parents because they crossed a, 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 an imaginary line that was originally stolen from Native Americans under the guise of manifest destiny. 
that God authorized this. The way Christianity and racism have been intertwined in this country is sinful, and we have to do the work of admitting it and untangling it. In the name of God, people have been treated as less than the image bearers that they are. Peter needed the intervention of the Holy Spirit to help him identify his prejudice, and so do we. The observance of the laws of clean and unclean and and cultural prejudices against Gentiles were so ingrained in Peter that he originally refused to obey the voice of God. God had to speak to Peter three times in the early part of chapter 10 for Peter to finally get it and to move. What's more, Peter helps us understand how our laws and our country and our history can be so deeply ingrained in us that we resist even when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. This is how the sin of racism operates. This is how slavery could continue for 250 years, how Jim Crow could continue for 100 years. And I often hear people say, I wonder what I would have done in the 1960s. Well, let's not be nostalgic about a time in which we did not live. Rather, let's be courageous in this time. Even in the face of the Holy Spirit prompting for justice and equity, we have to be careful that we don't turn a blind eye because our cultural norms are so strong and and deeply bedded within us. Peter's encounter with the Holy Spirit becomes his conversion as well, a conversion of his attitude and his opinions about Gentiles. God was dealing with his heart, and the condition of Peter's heart had implications for the entire religion. If the leadership and the preachers and the pastors and the evangelists and the spreaders of the gospel message, if Christians are prejudiced, then it taints the image of God for everyone. This is why the church has to be vigilant on racial reconciliation. As Christians, we must do the hard work of self-examination, and we have to do it often. If you know the, the story of Peter, you know that in Galatians, Paul will rebuke Peter because he reverts back to not associating with Gentiles. It's an ongoing process. Becoming a Christian did not mean that we changed overnight. We, we still had work to do. And the sin of racism is a part of that too. Just like Peter, we need these additional encounters with God all the time so that he can move us towards wholeness and holiness. There's no shame in dealing with your heart issues on the subject of race because we're all works in progress. We've all got something we've got to deal with. But we can't be afraid to do the work. So if we want to live into the reconciliation that Jesus has already provided for us, we must accept God's revelation about the world and about us, but we also must be ready to act. We have to act on this revelation. When Peter was given the opportunity to act on what God had revealed to him, he actually did do it eventually. When he was sent for, he came to Cornelius. He had to build relationships, and he had to work for justice. Peter took the audacious step of going into Cornelius' house and sharing the gospel message. Do you understand how bold that is? Think about your own home. Who do you allow into your home? 
right? Think about it. And as we talk about racial reconciliation, I challenge you to think about who do you invite into your home? Who do you allow into your inner circle? Because racial reconciliation, it doesn't happen overnight, but it does begin with conversation. It begins with the intentional relationship building and not just to say, oh, I have a white friend, I have a black friend. It's to say that I really want to do this and I really want to do it well. It means going deep and living life together. And it means more than the occasional cup of coffee. It means life together. It means listening to me go on and on and on about the Real Housewives or to lament about how long it takes me to wash and style my hair. It means listening to me be angry about the death of a Tatiana Jefferson or the impending execution of Rodney Reed. It means tripping over your words and asking stupid questions and getting things wrong at times. It means apologies and forgiveness and doing it all over again. It means praying together and growing together. Peter admitted, he stood in Cornelius' house and said, I wouldn't have been here if God didn't tell me to be here. That's what he said. And then he has his aha moment. He says, but now I realize God shows no favoritism. How awkward is that? <laughs> but that's the messiness of racial reconciliation. It is uncomfortable, and it is awkward, but Jesus is there. The Matthew 18 text that we always think about, about reconciliation, in it, it says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. That means in those awkward conversations where you're tripping over your words and you're trying to go somewhere and trying to build this relationship, Jesus is in the midst of that. And it's okay. Living into Jesus' reconciliation requires building relationships, and it means seeking justice. We partner with God to be the answer to someone's prayer for justice. Now, in our text, Cornelius had been praying, and we have no idea what that prayer was about, but we do know that God invited Peter to be the answer to something in that. And, and what I'm talking about here is not the sort of patronizing behavior. What I'm talking about is that sacred moment where you are able to arrive at the perfect time because you've been submitted to God and you're so closely connected with the Holy Spirit that you become part of the reconciliation that needs to happen in someone else's life. Have you ever gotten a text message right at the exact moment that you needed to hear it? That's what I'm talking about, that sacred moment. So many people of color are praying for those sacred moments of justice. Just a few chapters before, in Acts chapter 6, the disciples are confronted with a problem. The Hellenistic Jews, the Greek Jews, are being overlooked in their daily rations. The Hebraic Jews, who were a part of the ethnic majority, were being given their entire ration. When the widows complained, the disciples did something about it. They didn't dismiss their complaints or refuse to recognize the difference. They empowered people to help them, and this became the first set of deacons in the church. Many people 
are crying out to God, but will the church partner with God to help them achieve justice? Will Christians come alongside God to restore the dignity that has been lost, to acknowledge and not dismiss the sin that has been and oftentimes continues to be perpetrated against people of color? Right now, I guarantee you, somebody is hoping that they get that promotion even though they're not a part of the the old boys network. And there's some parent who's looking for a doll or a book for their child where the image actually looks like them. And someone else is wondering that their child will be okay because they sent them off to school and they hope that they will not be questioned about their presence there. We've got to pay attention. We've got to ask questions. We've got to speak up for people. We can't let the comments slide. Believe people when they say that something is going wrong. Brothers and sisters, the gospel calls us towards reconciliation. And all reconciliation begins with conversation. It it demands truth-telling, that racism exists, and that too many churches and too many Christians refuse to admit it. It involves repentance for the ways that we've all been complicit about our own prejudices and biases, about not paying attention, about not correcting the comment, about not believing someone else. Our own silence and our own cowardice Our refusal to follow the Holy Spirit as it moves us towards justice and reconciliation. It's time for the faithful witnesses of God to show up. But the good news is that Christ has already done the reconciling work. We've just got to live into it. We've just got to move in that direction. And I'm so encouraged by the conversations that you're already beginning to, that are already beginning to take place here. And yes, they're going to be hard. And yes, you're going to trip over your words. And yes, it's going to be, it's going to be awkward. But that's where the Holy Spirit lives. And that's where the Holy Spirit works. And that's where he wants us to be because he's already done the work. The good news is, is that we know you're going to get there. If we give up and faint not, if we don't give up and faint not, that it is possible that we can get there, but it does require the work, the hard work, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit and it's holy work. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you that you have already done the work of reconciliation on the cross. God, we thank you that you've already broken down the dividing wall of hostility between us. And so, God, we ask that you would give us the boldness to walk in that. Give us the courage to be reconcilers. Lord God, give us the faith to actually believe that it can be done. God, I pray for each man or woman here that you might impress upon their spirits with your Holy Spirit in such a way that they will never be the same. God, make us uncomfortable. Because when we're uncomfortable, when we can only rely on the Holy Spirit, then you can do a mighty work in us. 
God, we thank you that the work has already be, been done. And we thank you that you call us into that work today. Inspire each one of us to be ministers of reconciliation. It is through your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And we stand together as we respond. Now, I don't know how long you've been a part of this community or how deep you've gone. I mean, this, this place might be your family or it might be your first time here. And so I just want you to know of this church that we are a people who have no agenda accept the kingdom of God. And I want you to know that our agenda is the kingdom of God. And it is every last bit of it. We will not pull the rug over any of it. And this is part of it. So we're going to take a moment now just to invite the Holy Spirit into this part of our lives as individuals and to be guided forward from there. So to the degree that you're willing, you just pray with me, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, will you speak to us now? Will you show us where we have been biased? Will you show us where we've been complicit? Will you show us where we've been judgmental? You know, the amazing thing about inviting the searching of the Spirit is that we know that in God's presence we can be both naked and unashamed. We can be exposed as who we really are, not who we would like to be perceived as, and we can be without shame because as Sunita has reminded us tonight, the victory's already been won. We're just learning how to live into it. And so I, I want to return to this definition she gave of reconciliation at the very beginning. It is the practices of forgiveness, repentance, and justice. And when we go about these practices in community together, uh, we are not groveling. We are learning the steps of redemption. All of these practices are so full of hope because the victory's already been won, because we know the end of the story. We're just living into that end because we're somewhere in the middle. We know that there will one day come a time when forgiveness is all we know. The internal reality we possess will be forgiven. Uh, we know that repentance one day will finish its work, that we will have turned and gone the other way for the last time, there will be no need for it anymore. We know that one day justice will not be something we fight for. It will be all there is. And so as we step into these things now, we're just learning the steps of a dance called redemption. We're just learning to move to the rhythms of a truer story. So however God may be speaking to you tonight, I just want to invite you to step into that with hope. To even step into it with joy. So we're going to make a little space for response. And the way that we do that here is often through prayer. 
So we have rugs on either side of the stage, and they're places where you can kneel in prayer before God, or you can stand and glorify the one who's promised us an ending. And we do that in community, and so we have prayer ministry leaders that'll be on either side of the stage, and they would love to pray with you about anything and everything. And then we do it through feasting. And so we want to invite anyone and everyone that wants to respond to Jesus to come to this table and to taste of the promised ending to the true story of our lives. The gifts of God for the people of God. Church, let us feast. So the response is in your hands. How is God speaking to you? Respond as you feel led. Thank you.